If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and title of the message this morning is Three Gracious Results of Justification. Three Gracious Results of Justification. Um, I've always been taught, and uh, you know, I've always, I'm not always been a great learner, but uh, I've always been taught that if you see the word therefore, you should probably look back and see what it's there for. And so uh, as we do that, uh, we have to go back to the previous chapters, uh, 1 through 4, and we won't go through all of 1 through 4 because we've already spent about three months of teaching through that. But there are some key things, especially in chapter 4, that we should be reminded of as we go forward. And so I'll look back at the previous chapters where we'll reveal that it matters not whether you are Jew or Greek. We've established that for several chapters doesn't matter whether you are bond or free or whether you're under the law or had been circumcised or anything else. So what I want to draw your attention to just for a few moments is several verses in Romans chapter 4 that will remind us that when he says, therefore, what it's there for. So in verse 3 it says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So last Thursday night in our systematic theology study, we were kind of looking at what does it mean to be saved in the Old Testament? Well, I think it still comes down to this. Do you believe God? Do you have faith in God and who God says He is and what God has done for us? And so in verse 3 it says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then as you go down to verse 13 it says, For the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith has been made empty and the promise had been abolished. So he's reminding them once again, well, Abraham, even though he's the father of the Jewish people, it wasn't about fulfilling the law or uh, fulfilling the requirements of the law. Remember, uh, the Jewish people were all about the laws, the ceremonies, the, the celebrations and, and all the do's, the do nots and all the guidelines. And he says it's not about any of that because if you could, in fact, keep all those things, Faith has been abolished. There's no nece- it's not necessary. It's not needed. So he reminds them, it's not about all the extracurricular things that you're being added to. It was about faith. And then he comes again down in verse 16. And he says, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be according to grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the seed, not only to those who are under the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So he says it really does come down to faith. So as we look at all the things that he'd been leading up to and saying leading up to chapter 5, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through, the, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at the three gracious results of justification, we're going to see that God gives us peace, He gives us hope, and He gives us assurance of salvation. But I want us to look at this from the perspective of We have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen? That is something that every one of us can rejoice in. But let's just break this down. These three gracious results of being justified. Now, we always give the practical application of the, or definition of the word justified. It's just as if I'd, what? Never sinned. So when God justifies us through Jesus Christ's shed blood on the cross, He gives us a new standing in Him. He gives us the ability to say that the wrath has been, the, has been justified, has been settled. And we're no longer at, enemy, at odds with God, no, no longer enemies of God. Why? Because we have been justified. 
Now, as we come into chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first gracious result of justification, is peace which comes from being justified. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people who continuously live with guilt. In my opinion, it's my opinion and I'm going to stick to it, but I believe that a lot of the, the, a lot of the circumstances and reasoning for guilt is because sin has not been dealt with properly. Because my Bible tells me that if I confess my sin, according to 1 John 1, if I confess my sin, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God's Word tells us in the book of Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, so far that He removed our sins from us. When I deal with sin properly, when I confess my sin before God and repent of it and turn my back on it, I don't have the guilt of that any longer. It is under the blood. It is settled. It is no longer. Amen? So when someone says that they have guilt over what they've done, I really do believe that they have not claimed the forgiveness of God on that if they've been properly dealt with. The reality is a lot of people are searching for peace. If there's been one verse that I've given out more in the last two weeks, and especially the last six months, it's Isaiah 26.3. It says, Thou wilt give him what kind of peace? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. So the question is, and if I turn the wording of that verse around just a little bit, this is still true, but the reality is if I don't have peace, what does that say about my trust in God? If I have trust in God, he says he'll give us peace. He says thou will give him perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So if you don't have that peace, is your mind on God? Is it on something else? See, the world will search for peace in a lot of different ways, right? We all know that. The world will search for peace through a lot of different avenues but it's a peace that's not going to satisfy. Because Jesus says, I come to give you peace. Not the peace that the world gives, but my peace I give to you. And so the reality here on this word, in this, the, the original language of, of, of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says we have peace. In the tense that it's given here and in the tense that it's written, it's not future peace. It's not someday you'll get peace. It's not when all the circumstances are, are overcome and that everything's been resolved that you'll have peace. You have peace now. It's not something we have to wait for. It's not something that might or might not come. It's not based on, uh, 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 on our feelings or it's not based on emotions. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you've been justified, you have peace. And let me just say that goes right hand in hand with joy. We say, well, I may not always be happy, but I have God's joy. Well, the reality is we should be happy too. I'll just be honest with you, I don't fall into that category always. Man, I'm telling you what. I'll, I'll talk about more of that in a little bit in a, in a minute here. But in Rome in, in uh, Philippians chapter four, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter four, verse seven, it says, "And the peace of God, which passes all, surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." You notice how he says it'll guard your hearts and minds. Heart reveals our emotions. Our mind is what, how we think. Right? It goes right back to Isaiah twenty six three. That will give him perfect peace, whose mind is. What? Stayed on. That means the idea is it's focused on God. It's abiding in God. It's not on the circumstances. It's not on the difficult situations. Because those are the things that we would never choose. But it doesn't change the fact that we can have peace. That we have it peace now based on the tense of the scripture here. So he gives us 
peace. Why? Because we've been justified. And if, once again, consider the prior chapter once again, we don't have to work for it, because you can't work for it. It's not in what you choose to obey or not obey, as far as the laws were concerned. You cannot attain to it. This is something that God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And if you have a relationship with Him, you have been justified. And that justification brings peace with God. Number two, we find it in verses 2 through 8 of Romans chapter 5. And I want to read this just for a moment, beginning verse 2. It says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance and perseverance, proving character and proving character hope. And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for the righteous man, but though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the second thing we have, not only peace with God through Jesus Christ, but we also have hope. I don't know about you, hope is a good thing. When we have the hope of Jesus Christ, it really is referring to our uh, eternal destiny, heaven. And it says in verse 2, we boast in the hope. It says this is, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now let me just ask you a question just for a moment. What does it mean in your minds, generally speaking, what does it mean to boast? Has anybody ever met somebody who has boasted in something? Almost every one of us, if you're honest, either you have done it or you've noticed that somebody else was doing it. Maybe it was your favorite athletic team. Maybe it was your favorite, you know, star athlete. But when you boast in somebody, you're doing what? You're bringing attention to them or to the team and the circumstance that they're just really, really good, at least in your mind. Man, they can. Ju- I mean, when I was in high school, it was Michael Jordan. He was the man. As far as I'm concerned, he's still the best player to ever bounce the ball. Doesn't really matter now, but the reality is he was good. And when, when you talked about Jordan, nobody could do it like Jordan could do it, right? I mean, let's just be honest. LeBron tries, but he can't do it. The reality is he could jump higher, he could defend better, he could shoot farther. I mean, the guy was awesome, and he used to boast in how good he was. And I remember one day there was a game between the Boston Celtics and, and uh, the Chicago Bulls, and Larry Bird made a comment. He goes, when I'm on, not even God can stop me. And Jordan turned around and just put him down. I'm like, he was awesome. When's the last time we boasted in the hope of heaven? Stop and think about that for a moment. It says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have the idea that, hey, we're going to Florida. Great, I'm going to heaven. I'm going on a cruise ship. Great, I'm going to heaven. Well, you say, I'm going to both. That's great, but you get the idea. The reality is we boast in a lot of things on this earth, right? We boast in how great a vehicle we got or how nice our house is or what a great job we got and how beautiful our family is. But do we boast in the hope of the glory of God? 
When's the last time? Let's be honest. Let's just kind of sit and ask ourselves and contemplate that question just for a moment. When's the last time we took a moment and boasted in the hope of the glory of God? When I think of glory, there's a certain thing that comes to my mind. In in Luke uh, chapter 2, when we read about the account when Jesus was born, it says the angels stood around and the glory of God shone bright. What were they seeing? Was it not a bright light that kind of emanated and reflected the glory of God? And in Revelation chapter 21 22, when it talks about one day when we see the, a glimpse of heaven, it says there will be no light of the sun, there will be no light of the moon, the stars. There will be no need of that because what? The glory of God will be its what? Light. And when we think about the glory of God, the light of God, do we boast and reflect in the glory, the light, the greatness, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that God gives. Man, I fail utterly at that sometimes. And I fail the most when I get in my own stinking flesh and do what I want to do. And when we think about it, even going back to the previous point of having peace with God, when we think about having peace, the only reason we have peace is because our wrath of God has been abolished And now we have something greater to live for, the glory of God. Seriously, when's the last time? So he talks about this hope three times in the passage. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. It has the idea of certain confidence. It's not the hope that we see on this earth. One of Some of us in this room may say, well, I hope I win the lottery. Okay, so that's a long shot. Probably no hope in that. Say, oh, I hope I get a better job. That's a possibility, but not a guarantee. Well, I hope I can get a new car that's better than what I got. Well, that's maybe possible, but once again, not guaranteed that it's you know, going to last any longer. We hope in a lot of things, but on this earth, hope is not a guarantee. It's not, it's not certain. We think of it in certain terms often, but it's not. The only hope that is certain is the hope that Jesus Christ gives us. That's why he says in 1 John 5.13, These things have I written unto you who believe that you may what? Hope? Wish? Think? He says, These things have I written to you that believe that you may what? No. That's the hope that we have. It is hope. And so he gives us three areas here that we can hope in. So first of all, it's the hope in the confidence of God's glory In other words, Christians, because we have been granted a right standing before God, we get to share in the glory of God. In Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about sharing in the glory of God. Why? Because even as Paul said, and we talk about this often, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in us. Paul said, I don't want you to see me, I want you to see God. I want you to see a picture of Jesus in my life. John the Baptist once again said this way, he goes, I'm not the man. I was sent to. Uh, I'm not Jesus. I was just sent to bear witness of him. In other words, he says, "I want to be a mere reflection of not me of of Jesus." And that's the whole idea of sharing in the glories. I want people to see the glory of God, and we get to share in that. So he says, "There's hope in the confidence of God's glory." Number two, we see in verse four. Or at the end of verse 3, into verse 4, it says, And not only this verse 3, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. So, I don't know about you, he says we boast in our afflictions. There's, in our affliction, in the midst of it, 
hope is brought on. I don't know about you, but I don't boast in my affliction. In fact, I do the exact opposite. And I think the older I get, the worse job I do at it. For 10 weeks, I have been dealing with this stupid shoulder. And, I, you know, I told the, I told the, the, the physician's assistant, that I said, I feel like just ripping it out of my arm and beating somebody over the head with it. It just hurts. It's all healed. The, everything looks great. The anchor points look great. There's no tears. There's no frays. It's not ripped. Everything is healed, but there's nerve damage. And so I wake up every night, somewhere between 1 and 4. I'm just telling you, between 1 and 4, when it starts throbbing, I'm not hoping. I'm not boasting in my person, in, in, what, what's the word here? I'm not boasting in my affliction. I'm, I, I'm actually quite ticked. I don't know anybody that boasts in their afflictions. We know what an affliction is. For some people, it's a real little thing. For other people, it's a real big thing. But we live in a culture that we don't like to be disrupted with aches, pains, sicknesses, illnesses. We, we pray for the exact opposite, don't we? I don't like afflictions. And the last thing I want to do is boast in it. Really, Lord? Thank you for making my shoulder hurt. Woo! Good job. Appreciate that, God. See, that's crazy. Right. Because we don't do it. But, well, we're going to come around to that. Believers are to hope. Why? Knowing that affliction brings about perseverance. It teaches you to keep going. I don't know about you, but I don't want to keep going in the affliction. In fact, the other day when I was doing an MRI, I've done like three MRIs in the last month with the shoulder and, and, and foot. And when you're inside that machine, you know, is, has anyone ever done an MRI? They're obnoxiously loud. <coughs> you know, it's like, you don't like those things. But have, after having had a shoulder surgery, they said, keep your arm in this position for 30 minutes. I'm like, everything within me is like, I can't move. I, 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 I just, inside I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And I finally, there was like one final three-minute test left, and I stuck my arm up, and I said, i got to move. I can't stay here any longer. It was just throbbing. Affliction brings perseverance. I'm thinking, I can't persevere. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. None of us likes pain. None of us likes disappointment. None of us likes affliction. But yet he says it brings about perseverance. And perseverance, wait a minute, character? Oh, it's a reflection of our character now? Oh, I don't like that. Because it really is revealing how good I'm not. And how weak I am. And how much in the flesh I often am. But through the perseverance and the character building comes hope again. Why? Because it's temporary. It's temporary. It doesn't matter whether you live 27 years or 107 years. There's an end to it. Which brings us back to the first point. Hope in the glory of heaven one day. 
anything that we go through in this life is temporary. The afflictions. I like this in the Greek language here. This word affliction literally means pressure. Think about this for a moment. Pressure. Does anyone enjoy pressure? Anybody feel like they're under pressure? Yeah. I think all of us feel that from time to time, occasionally. As I was thinking about this, something came to my mind. I don't know because I'm not a gemologist. Is that a word? Somebody who studies rocks and diamonds. Is that a word? Geologist? Thank you. I'm not one of those. But I've been told that diamonds are created because of extreme pressure. Anybody else ever heard that? Diamonds are created because of extreme pressure. Now think about this. This word is literally translated pressure. He says, knowing that afflictions or pressure brings perseverance, and perseverance, character, and proven character, hope. When a diamond is taken and made because of that extreme pressure, and then it's put in the hands of a master, and it's cut, and it's polished, what happens to its value? It increases immensely. And it begins to shine and reflect the light even in greater ways. If you've ever seen an uncut diamond, it looks kind of cloudy and murky and mucky. But after it's been in the hands of the master, it's been cut just the right angles, it's been polished, and all of a sudden its beauty just stands out. If you're a child of God and you're facing pressure, when it's done, God's going to do something in and through the pressure that will even make you more lovely, more beautiful than before. How do I know that? Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, it says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Do I love God enough to trust Him? That the pressures that He allows, that the afflictions that He allows to go through is for a purpose. It's hard in the midst of it. It really is. It's really difficult when you're in the middle of it to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But that's where trust comes in. Do I trust God enough? Do I love Him enough to trust Him that He's not going to make any mistakes with my life? That's a question you and I have to answer. But I do know this, that the pressure put into the hands of the Master is going to make us more lovely. It's going to make us more valuable, more beautiful than before. Every single thing He does. Look at verse 29 of Romans 8. Not will all things work together for good, but through it, He conforms us to the image of His Son. Who's to say that God's not allowing the pressures, the struggles, the frustrations to bring about something more beautiful, which is 
what could be more beautiful than being in the image of his son? And that's why sometimes he has to chisel us. It's not enjoyable. None of us says, hey, sign me up. Yeah, God, just chisel me down some more. Thank you. We pray for the opposite, don't we? Every time we get in a car and go on a trip, God, give us safety. Help us have traveling mercies. We pray for a life of ease. But it's the struggle that God uses to make us who He wants us to be. So, the hope that is used here in the end of verse 2 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but also in our afflictions. Knowing that it's going to produce more hope. And then, number 3, in verse 5, it says, and hope does not put to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope, number three, doesn't put to shame. Why? Because God's love is poured out. Um, so, on our anniversary night, yeah, we went out to a nice restaurant, and then we went to Hobby Lobby. Sounds like a good night to some of you women, right? We went to Hobby Lobby. My wife is looking at stuff, and I'm looking at the, you know, the little carousel of Christian books they sell. And I find a commentary I don't have at Hobby Lobby. I'm like, yes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a gold nugget in here. Tony Evans' commentary. I love what he says about Romans 5. Authentic love is costly, and it sacrifices for its beloved. I love that. Authentic love is costly and sacrifices for its beloved. He's referring to verse 5. He says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Every day we wake up as believers with the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Why? 1 Corinthians 6.20, you're bought with a price. He indwells you. And every day you get to be a partaker of the love that's been poured out from Jesus Christ. And I love this as you look at verses 6 and 8. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. When we think about someone dying, we think of people who are heroes. Police officers. Soldiers. Firefighters. Maybe during the pandemic we would consider nurses and doctors who were there and being surrounded by the virus and not ha- with any concern for their own life, they were willing to walk into the, into, the, into the difficulty and just come out shining. They are our heroes, so to speak. And we talk about this in verse 6. It says, For while we were weak at the right time Christ died for, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even die. We would call them a good man, good man. But when we think of someone who is truly an amazing person is Jesus Christ. John 3.16, one of the most familiar verses we've ever heard. For God so loved the world that He what gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but what have everlasting life. When you think about this, and putting that back into the common, into the text here, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the weak. 
That's you and I. He died for the ungodly or the unrighteous. That's you and I. In totality, those who were and are undeserving. That's you and I. Who of us deserves the grace and mercy of God? None of us. He didn't say, go clean up your life and then I'll allow you to become part of my family. Stop sinning and then you can join with me. Go fix this issue in your, in your marriage and then, then you can come to me. Fill it in. Whatever it is that is your struggle, your sin, your, your pet sin, deal with it, overcome it, then you can become part of me. No. He says, while well, you are still weak, while well, you are still unrighteous, I died for you. I died for you. That's that love that's been poured out. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So these three gracious results of justification, first of all, peace with God, then hope in God, and then number three, verses 9-11, through 11, assurance of salvation. Verse 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. A couple of contrasts here in verse 9 and 10. Justified by His blood... And remember, the practical application of that is just as if I'd never sinned because His blood, Hebrews 11, without the, for the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Sin could not have been covered except through the blood of Jesus. Justified by His blood, yet saved from the wrath that was due Him. We were born on the wrong side of the railroad track, so to speak. No hope, no, nothing in sight that would change us. But then Jesus Christ dies. And He changes everything. Destined for hell, because the wrath of sin has to be justified in some way, has to be reconciled in some way. So we're destined to experience the wrath of God, but then Jesus justifies. And we've been set free. And then the second contrast I see in verse 10 is that we're enemies yet brought into His family in life. I mean, think about that. When we have a quote-unquote enemy, do you spend time with them? Hey, come on over for dinner. Can't wait to hang out with you for a little bit and have around a bonfire. No, we don't do that. We're enemies. In the flesh, we don't look at enemies as something positive, do we? But that's what He's saying here. We were born enemies because of our sin nature, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin, the, what we, the due payment of what we've done is eternal separation from God for all eternity, Romans 6.23. It's what we deserve. We're enemies, but yet reconciled. What does the word reconciled mean? Brought together, made due, satisfied because of His love. He reconciled us to Himself. 
And then in closing, verse 11, he says this, And not only this, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Think about that. We boast in God through Jesus Christ. Let's just kind of put it down to where the rubber meets the road just for a moment. What do we talk about in a given day? Talk about the weather. It's rainy. It's cloudy. The nice day we had yesterday. We talk about politics and changes in our world. Chaos that's going on around us. We talk about our jobs. We don't hear much talk about sports these days. It's kind of taking a back seat a little bit. Talk about our family and our kids. We boast in a lot of those things, right? We bring attention to those things because they're important to us. But he closes up verse 11 by saying, and we boast in God through Jesus Christ. How often do we talk about Jesus? Seriously. Let's just be honest about this. Let's just put it down and just kind of lay it out there on the road for all of us to walk on. Conversation that needs to be had. Do we talk about Jesus? Question, has Jesus changed your life? Yes or no? If He has, we should not be ashamed of that. In fact, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We should not be ashamed of that. In fact, He goes on to tell us in the Gospels that if we're ashamed of Jesus, He'll be ashamed of us. I didn't say it, He did. And yet we never talk about them. Well, they'll think I'm a holier than thou. They'll think I'm a religious freak. They'll think I'm crazy. No, we can have everyday conversations about how Jesus has changed our lives. If you woke up this morning, you have a story of how God has changed your life. You didn't die in your sleep. Anybody experience that? Yeah, every one of us. We woke up today. And yet, put clothes on and you put food in your belly and you got in your cars and drove here while some of us walked what is Jesus doing in your life right now that you can boast in health grace mercy, forgiveness protection, provision keep the list going on he says we boast in God through Jesus Christ our Lord Remember what it means to boast? Bring attention to. Highlight. Rejoice in. Why? Because of what He's done for us. We have been reconciled to Jesus Christ. We've been brought to Jesus through a relationship with Him. That gives us reason to boast. Twice in this passage, He uses the word boast. We boast in the hope and we boast in God. All of it revolves around Jesus. What are we boasting in? All the things that we experience in this life are temporary. Some of it we enjoy, some of it we despise. The worst of it is going to pass, and the best of it is not going to be able to compare. So what is it that we're really boasting in? The worst things that we go through is temporary. The best things are not as good as what we're going to experience. 
So we boast in Jesus. I don't want you, but I'm convicted when I read this. I don't boast in my affliction. I get irritated over it. Over a lot of stuff. And it's a reminder that I need to, once again, repent and rejoice in Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge. Every day we get to experience the grace and forgiveness and the mercy and all those things that God does for us. Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we have so many gracious results of being justified. We have peace. We have hope. And we have assurance. Because you have justified us. Lord, we are reminded we cannot earn it. You've graciously poured out your love to us. And I pray, God, that we would not take these things for granted. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to begin to boast once again in Jesus Christ. And Lord, your word reminds us in 1 Corinthians, if we have anything to boast in, let it be in the cross of Calvary, the cross of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I I pray now, Lord, that you'd bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, and that you'd bring conviction where conviction is needed. Lord God, I pray that you would just work in our hearts to draw us closer to you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I just... Every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Maybe lately you haven't looked at it from the perspective of having peace. It's not something we're going to get someday. It's something we have now. Maybe you haven't looked at hope as something that we can anchor ourselves in because of everything going on around us. And maybe the assurance. I haven't really just sat there and thought about God's mercy, His grace. Maybe this morning you are, as I was, convicted. That we're boasting in the wrong things. We're to boast in Jesus Christ. Boast in God the Father. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm convicted. God's challenged me. Pray for me this morning. Anyone like that? Yes. Yes. The front, the back, middle, the sides. Everyone. I think we're all in the same boat. Yes. We take so much for granted. And we get our focus so much on the temporal rather than the eternal. We, we look at what's right here, right now, what's temporary, rather than what is to come one day. And if we're not careful, we're distracted by those things. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm convicted. These, this is true in my life. Pray for me. Yes. Can I invite you that have lifted your hand, your heart, those of you who have shaken your head in agreement, those of you that acknowledged that's me, to take a minute and pray. I, I think where it needs to start is to repent. We take so much for granted. We take so much of what God has done and we just don't think about it. We don't dwell on it. Just take a moment and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent of my attitude. I repent of my actions. And ask for your forgiveness.
and a step further, Lord, help me to boast in what you've done. Help me to boast in Jesus Christ. Help me not to be ashamed of that. Help me, Lord, to be excited about what you've done in my life in bringing salvation. Lord Jesus, I I thank you for each one who's acknowledged their in their honesty, Lord, struggles that they're facing, conviction that they're feeling. Lord, I am. I, I gripe and complain too much. I don't look at what you've done for me enough. Lord God, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, as a church, as a body. Lord, help us to boast in the hope of glory that one day we get to spend eternity with you in heaven. And the things of this earth are just temporary. Help us have a right perspective. Be each one, each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. And I pray, God, that you grant victory this week as we live for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.